on this Good Friday service. And uh, if you're a guest with us tonight, I want to say welcome to you. Thanks for being with us tonight as we take time. And I think it's a really important time for us to reflect on the cross as we think about uh, Jesus' final um, moments before he died tonight and as we look at uh, all that that entailed. And so I'm so glad that, uh, that you're here. And um, the thing that, that I love about Good Friday, um, the thing that, that I really look forward to in this, this time together, because this is special. This is a different service. It's not, um, it's not a hyped-up worship service. There's, um, it's, it's, a, it's truly a time to reflect. And as I, um, as I think about why I love Good Friday, it's because it forces me to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross. But not only does it force me to reflect about what Jesus did on the cross, but even more so than that is that we get the chance to respond. You see, here's what I know about Good Friday is that Good Friday demands a response from us. And I, and I thought about that, and I thought as we were driving in, Emma and I were driving in uh, tonight, and we drove by this pasture and there was cows all over the pasture. And when you see cows in a pasture, what do you do? You moo, right? And just like cows in a pasture demand a response, Good Friday demands a response from us. And so we see crosses all the time. I mean, there's a cross behind me. We have the black drape over it to uh, remind us of Good Friday. And we see them on jewelry. Uh, we see them on churches, we see them on walls, we see them um, tattooed on our arms, uh, we see them uh, above our beds, we see crosses throughout our lives. I mean, we don't have to look very far to see a cross, but to be still, to take a moment and to be still and reflect on Good Friday to look at what the cross really means, I would suggest to you tonight that that demands a response and for a variety of different reasons. I think one of those reasons that it demands a response is the simple historical value of who Jesus was and his death on the cross. And if you look in the Bible and you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're known as the Gospels. They're the first four books in the New Testament, and they all, every single one of them has an account of Jesus' life and death. And, and then you see historical events in the Gospels. As you read the Gospels, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see these historical events take place that line up with events that we know happened in history. And then you have historians like a guy named Josephus who, who outside of Scripture wrote books, and in those books had accounts of this man named Jesus who walked on this earth, who died, and then who people claimed rose again. And that Jesus is an actual historical figure, that he walked this earth, that demands a response as we come to the cross. And, and also... Another reason is the sheer ridiculousness of the cross. That, that our sin, the, the mess in our lives, the things that we do that separate us 
from God that, that God is holy, that Jesus is holy, and we are not. That we know that there's something broken in our world. And we all would say, yes, there's something broken in our world. And God, God wanted to make a way for you and for me to have a relationship with him. And to do that, to have a relationship with him, he gave us his one and only son to have a perfect life and to die on the cross so that if you and I would choose to believe in him, we can have forgiveness, right? We can have forgiveness of our sin and we can have a relationship with God now, right here, right now, and then for all of eternity. And that kind of love and that kind of grace, well, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, it truly is. It's ridiculous. And the more you think about it, the more you learn about it. And here's the deal. The cross demands a response. C.S. Lewis, he's an author and, and a theologian, and he said this. He said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord, but he wasn't just a moral man. And when you look back at Jesus' life, you have to respond. You have to respond to the fact that either he was who he said he was, or he was a crazy person, or he was a really good liar. And both of those last two things, well, they don't look to be very true. You see, Jesus on the cross demands a response from each and every one of us. And tonight, I just want to share with you, I want to look at two people. Two people who were up close and personal with Jesus on the cross. And I want you to see how each of these two people responded to Jesus. And we find their responses in Luke chapter 23, and we, we heard this verse tonight, and I want to read it again, starting in verse 32. And here's what the scripture says. Here's what Luke writes as he retells his account of the crucifixion of Jesus. Starting in verse 32, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. Two Two men, two criminals, were also led to be executed with Jesus that day. Now these two men, they were likely Jews, and, and they were being executed because they were under Roman rule. And, 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 and back in the day, if you were a thief, there was a good chance that you would be executed on the cross if you were caught. And these two men were thieves, and they were caught in the act. And so their punishment for stealing, their punishment for being a thief was crucifixion. In verse 33, Luke continues, and he says, And when they came to the place called the skull, what a, what a dreary and gruesome name. When he came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. You see, these two criminals were on either side of Jesus. That as Jesus breathed his last breath, so did they. And now Jesus says in verse 34, and Luke uh, re, re, uh, tells this, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I thought, isn't that just like Jesus I mean, he's in excruciating pain. 
Because being crucified on the cross, it was a gruesome death. I mean, they, they nailed you up there. You breathed and gasped. You were gasping for every breath. And as he's up there on the cross in excruciating pain, he's practicing loving his enemies. He's looking down at the people that crucified him. He's looking at all the people in the crowd that shouted, crucify him. And he says, Jesus, he says, God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's practicing forgiveness. I mean, he is living out his faith even unto his death. And Luke continues and says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They rolled dice for his clothes. And then it talks about the crowd in verse 35. And Luke says, the people stood watching. They're standing there and they're watching Jesus struggle for every breath. They stand there watching as the blood is flowing from his forehead from the crown of thorns. They stood there watching as he is trying to lift himself up just to catch a breath. And it says the people stood there watching and the rulers, the rulers even sneered at him. And they said this, they said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. In the midst of this horrifying event, the crowd is making fun of him. The crowd is mocking him. And they're saying, hey, if he's the chosen one, let's see it. Let him prove it. Let him come down. Let's see you, Jesus the Christ. Let's see you come down from the cross and save yourself. Luke goes on and says, the soldiers also. They wanted to get in on the fun. It says the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. The soldiers wanted to, continue, wanted to mock him even more by putting this sign above his head. And here's where we meet the first criminal. Criminal number one in verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. I want you to think about this. This criminal also being crucified, also gasping for every breath, also experiencing pain, and he's feeding off the crowd, and he looks over to Jesus, who's hanging there, and he says, aren't you the Messiah? Like, save yourself and save us while you're at it. And he gives in to the peer pressure of all the people who are scoffing and mocking Jesus in the moment. And he's joining in from the crowd. And he's just looking at Jesus and he's saying, hey, prove yourself to be the Messiah. He's like, I dare you. I triple dog dare you to save yourself and prove who you are. Prove it. Prove it by saving yourself and check out what he said. And us too while you're at it. You know, he's not really interested, this first criminal. He's not interested in who Jesus is. But if Jesus can get him out of this jam, well, he'd be okay for that to happen. He'd be like, all right, Jesus, prove who you are. And while you're at, at it, save me. I mean, at this point, as he's nearing death, the criminal would allow anyone to save his skin. He wouldn't care who you were. And he doesn't see Jesus as Lord. He doesn't see him as Savior. And he certainly doesn't see him as a king. But he would love it. If Jesus would just get him out of this jam. 
And I don't know about you, but I've said that before. I've found myself in moments where I'm like, oh God, if you just get me out of this jam, right? Like I remember when I was a kid, I was about 12 years old. And, and in our neighborhood, we lived in a neighborhood that was being developed. And so uh, lots of houses were being built around us. And it was a 12-year-old's dream come true. Like every house was a fort. And we would go into these houses that were half built and we would play in them. And we would, get, we would scavenge wood and build forts in the woods with it. And there was this one house that was down the street, uh, about halfway down our street. And it was a big two-story house. And, and, uh, and it had the windows were put in. Uh, the door was still open. You could go in and walk around. The walls were in it. And me and my friend, Eric, uh, Eric Binge, and we thought that it would be cool to see who could throw the rock uh, over the house the furthest. And so I got to go first, and so I grabbed my rock, kind of like David and Goliath, right? Like I'm picking the right one, and I find my rock, and I'm like, man, I did not have a good arm back then, and I still don't to this day, but, but I took my rock, and I chucked it, and I was like, oh, that thing's going to go to the moon and back, right? Well, it sailed right through the middle window of the second floor, and it busted that window wide open. And I remember Eric looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he drops his rock, and we just scatter like cockroaches. Like, we just go, and we go to our houses. And I remember uh, doing that, and I remember saying, in that moment, I was like, Jesus, can you just get me out of this jam? Like, you just got to save me. Like, if you just do that, I'll be really good. Like, I won't, I won't put my tie up my nose in church anymore. Like, I'll listen to the Sunday school teacher. I'll do everything you ask me to do if you'll just get me out of this jam. And that's what's happening for this criminal that's on the cross. And if we're honest, there's a little bit of that in us too. I mean, sometimes we're just like the criminal in our own lives. And we're just like, oh, Jesus if you'll just get me out of the jam, I'll go to Good Friday service. If you'll just get me out of this jam, I'll show up Easter and, I, and I'll wear my like nice clothes and I'll be there if you'll just get me out of this jam. And we're not really following Jesus in that moment. All we want to do is we want him to fix our circumstances. And that's what criminal number one is looking for. He's just looking for someone to get him out of this predicament that he finds himself in. But then... Then we see criminal number two, the one that's on the other side of Jesus. And, and I want you to hear how he responds in verse 40. Luke tells it, he says this in verse 40, he says, but the other criminal, the other one, he rebuked criminal number one. He said, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, like this criminal is all up close and personal and he sees, he sees that there's something different about Jesus. And, and as Jesus is dying next to him, nailed to the cross with all the blood and all the pain and all the mess, he sees that there's something different and something divine about this man. And he's reverent about it. Like he's extremely reverent. And he says, don't you fear God? He's looking around. I don't know if you can do that when you're crucified. I've never been. But he's like looking over around Jesus to the other criminal who's making fun and mocking Jesus. He's like, don't you get it? He's like, don't you fear God? I mean, we're all, we're, we're up here and we're all being sentenced for the same thing. Don't you fear who this man is that's being crucified next to you? And then he goes on in verse 41 and he says, we're punished justly. Like for we are getting what our deeds deserve. We stole, we were thieves, we did the crime, and now it's time to do my, our time. But this man, he says, 
This man has done nothing wrong. And I love this about this criminal. Like, I love that he, he sees who Jesus is. And he comes to Jesus' defense, even though Jesus doesn't need defense. He comes to him. And he looks at him. He says, do you know what you're saying right now? Do you not know who this is? He's like, man, don't you have any respect for what's happening here? This guy is innocent. He's like, we deserve this. But this man does not deserve to die. And then he goes on in verse 42, and he looks at Jesus, and he says these words. He says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus, would you remember who I am? Maybe he shared his name with him. He's like, God, would you just remember me? Remember who I am when you come into your kingdom? Like, don't forget me. I'm the one that stuck up for you. Like, I'm, would you remember me when you come to your kingdom? Wherever you're going, Jesus, would you remember me? Because I want to be where you're going. And what's so interesting here is I think the criminal really figured out who Jesus was. He's not interested. He, he realizes that Jesus isn't just interesting in fixing the situation. That he realizes that Jesus came to save him. That he isn't just here to fix him, but he's here to forgive him. And this isn't about getting me out of a jam is what he's saying. He's like, this isn't just about me getting out of a jam. It's something so much bigger than that. So Jesus, wherever you're going, would you remember me? Because I know who I am. And I know I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I'm, I'm not innocent. I'm, I'm up here for a reason. I'm broken. And I'm sinful. And I need you to step into my situation and not just fix it, but to forgive me. And I want to be with you forever. And then I want you to hear what Jesus says back to him in verse 43. Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. He's like, you will be with me. While Jesus is dying on the cross, he shows this man mercy and grace. That in his last hour, this criminal has met Jesus and he's found forgiveness and he's found salvation, and he's been rescued. So let me just say this. If you're sitting here and you're like, there's no hope for me. Like, it's too late. I've gone too far. Let me tell you, it's never too late, and you can never go too far for Jesus to say, today you will be with me in paradise. And so often we get trapped. We get trapped into thinking that Jesus is just here to get us out of a jam. We think that we need him, but... Uh, we need him to, but it's so much more than that. You see, Jesus is not interested in fixing you in the moment. He's interested in saving you for a lifetime. Did you hear that? He's not interested in just fixing you for a moment. He's interested in loving you and saving you for a lifetime. He loves you so much that he wants to bring forgiveness to you so that you can have a relationship with him. God with us became God for us. Amen. You know, when I was sitting there in that, as that boy, I went straight to my room. And as I was praying, 
And I was praying, God, would you, would you fix this problem? God, would you, would you get me out of this jam? Would you fix the window? It didn't work, right? Like the window was still broken two hours, one day later, two days later. And I was like living in that guilt. Like even as a 12-year-old boy, I remember that I wasn't worried anymore about getting in trouble. Like for me, I started to feel a sense of conviction that I had really done something wrong. And so I remember that I was convicted so much, I could feel the weight and the conviction of my sin as a 12-year-old boy, and I went to my mom, and I confessed. And my mom knew me so well. She still does. And she knows when I am, when I'm like restless. She knows when something's going on in my heart. And I confessed. And like a good mom, here's the words that she said to me. She said, okay, you're going down there on Monday and you're going to apologize when the workers show up. And I remember being so scared. And Monday came and, 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 and we walked up to the house and, and I was, all I could think of is what was the construction worker going to say to me? Like, was he going to yell at me? Was he going to make me pay for the window? Was he going to call the cops? Was I going to go away and go to the slammer? You know, I'm thinking this is a 12-year-old boy. I'm freaking out. And, and the foreman was there. So not only construction workers, but like the boss was there. And I remember walking up to him, and he was a big dude. I mean, I was like a small, scrawny kid, 12-year-old kid. Big dude, big dude. And he was there, and, and I could hardly get the words out. And I said, Mr., I, I broke the window. I'm the one that broke the window. And then I just burst out in tears. And, and I was scared. He was big. Did I mention he was big? He was big and hairy. He was big and hairy. I was scared. And I burst out into tears because I had been carrying the sin and I've been carrying the guilt of my sin as a 12-year-old boy for three days. And it'll tear up a little 12-year-old boy when you're doing that for three days. And I didn't know what he was going to say. I didn't know what was going to happen. And in that moment, the foreman looked at me. He put his hands across like that. And I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to jail. And, and he looked at me and he said, you know what? That took a lot of guts for you to come up to me and tell me that. He says, I forgive you. And, num and number two, I want to thank you for telling me. And then he shook my hand and he said, have a good day. I was like on cloud nine in that moment, but I was on cloud nine, not because what I needed, I didn't need the, the window to be broken. What I needed was the brokenness inside of me to be forgiven. And that's exactly what that foreman did when he shook my hand. He said, thank you for telling me I forgive you. Have a nice day. It was like I was made whole again. It was like the big hairy man wasn't scary anymore. And I felt within me that his forgiveness soothed my soul. And in that moment, I felt like I was made whole again. You see, that's what forgiveness is. That's what the cross does for us. It's not fixing up your life for a moment. It's fixing up your life for a lifetime. And that's why the gospel means good news. It doesn't mean good ideas. It doesn't mean good tips for life. It means good news that you and I, we can be forgiven. And no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who we've become, we can be forgiven. That the brokenness you feel on the inside can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
And when you believe in Christ, and when you trust in him, when God sees you, when God looks at you, in that moment you say yes to Jesus, when he looks at you, he no longer sees the sinner in you, but he sees Jesus. He sees his perfection. He sees you made white as snow. He sees you whole again, your sins forgiven. And the question for you today is simply this. How will you respond to the cross? How will you respond? What is your response going to be? And many of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we're carrying around sin in our lives. Some of us are carrying around a secret sin, a sin that no one knows about. Others of us are carrying around the sin that everyone in the house knows about, right? Like we're all carrying around sin and maybe it's the way you're treating your kids or maybe it's the way you're speaking to your spouse or maybe the sin you're carrying is something that you did years ago. Or maybe it's a secret sin that's going on behind the scenes and I don't know what sin you're carrying. But I do know this, that you can respond tonight by bringing the burden of that sin to the cross. And Jesus is going to open his arms up, wide open. And he's going to wrap his arms around you. And he's going to forgive you. Because that's the ridiculousness of the cross. It's that the incredible gift of the cross is forgiveness. And you don't want to leave it behind today. But you want to respond and you want to receive that gift that God has for you. And as we come to communion in just a few moments, what you want to do, what I want to encourage you to do as you come and you receive communion, is I want you to bring that burden, the burden of that sin so that you might be forgiven. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. Paul says this in verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, when we choose, when you choose to trust Jesus, you're freed. You're freed from the power of sin and death. And think about what that means. Not only can you bring the burdens of the sins that you've committed, but check this out. You can bring the burdens of the sins that have been committed against you. That maybe you've been carrying around the burden of a sin that has been harmed against you. Maybe it's someone who's abused you in the past or maybe someone who's hurt you or someone who's betrayed you. Uh, the moment when someone said those words that you've been carrying around for years, if not decades, and they hurt you, and you can be freed, set free from those sins as well. Maybe that's what response means for you today. Because Jesus' death on the cross means that you have been freed from sin, that you can be forgiven and that your life could be transformed. Listen, I know it's scary. It's me like me in that 12-year-old boy's body looking up at that big old foreman, scared to death. 
I promise you this, that when you come and you bring your burdens to the Lord, He doesn't scold you. He doesn't thump you on the head and say, what were you thinking? He looks at you and He opens His arms and He says, come here. I forgive you. I love you. Now go live for me. So some of you, you needed to be reminded of this tonight because here's the deal, you've forgotten You've gotten busy with life and you've forgotten the gift that the cross brings. And this is a chance for you to respond tonight by bringing your sins and bringing the burdens that you carry uh, to the cross so that you can find the open arms of Jesus as he forgives. And some of you are here tonight and man, you're hearing this for the very first time. Or maybe you're hearing it for the first time and it's clicking for you. And I just want to pray for you I want to pray for you in a moment. And as I do, if you trust in Jesus for the very first time, I I want you to do that just like the criminal did. He clearly demonstrated that it's never too late. Why don't you just choose to follow Jesus today? Would you pray with me? God, we come to you today. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son on the cross. And we recognize, God, that we've taken the cross for granted, Lord. That too often we just want you to come and fix our moment. Instead of being reminded that it's so much more than that. We don't need a moment of being fixed, Lord. God, we need to be rescued. We need to be saved. Not for a moment, but for a lifetime. And God, you give that gift to us. And Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And if you're here tonight and you want to trust Jesus for the very first time, you can just pray with me. Just pray with me right now where you're seating, where you're sitting. Just pray these words with me. Lord, I come to you today. And I realize that I'm a sinner and I want to have a relationship with you. And I pray that as I trust in you and I believe in you, I pray that you would forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I'm tired. I'm tired of just trying to fix things. I'm tired of just putting band-aids on things. God, would you give me the forgiveness that means that I'm accepted by you that I have a relationship with you. I believe in you, Lord. And I thank you for your forgiveness, for the forgiveness of my sins. And I make you my Lord and Savior tonight. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your Son and the moment that we have today to not just reflect on the cross, Lord, but to respond to it, to respond to all that the cross has done for us. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. In your name we pray. Amen.